We're looking at what it means to be a new creature in Christ. First, we considered a new way of living. We come to the place by grace, through faith, because God has rescued us and given us a new heart for Him. That we want to say each day, no longer, no more. We commit ourselves to living to King Jesus. And of course, the good news is, the King that we live for is the King that we need to do the very thing He calls us to do. So it's the amazing uh, glory of the gospel is that the, 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 the king that tells us to be this now comes to us. He comes inside of us. The spirit of Christ is in us. And so we have everything we need for life and godliness through the Savior that loved us and gave himself for us. Secondly, we considered that it's a new way of knowing, which means to regard or to appraise. And so now... No longer as a Christian should we have regard for men on the basis of outward appearance. Now that's not to say we don't have regard for people in positions of authority, in government. We show them regard. But what Paul is talking about is a kind of regard that's still egocentric. See, our regard for others is what they can do for us. And so certain kinds of people do nothing for us, so we keep them at arm's length. What Paul is saying, the, the reason he seeks to persuade men and he pleads with men is because he sees them in relation to Christ. And so the greatest thing they possibly could need is the Lord Jesus Christ. So he brings them the ministry of the Word, which brings us to the third point in verse 17, is now a new way of seeing. Verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God. He's the source. Now, two words significant in verse 17 are the words behold and the word become. Their definitions aren't significant. Behold means to see. Become means to exist. We exist new. But what's significant is the word become is the perfect tense, which you know is a completed past action never to be completed again, which is what? We're new creatures. That doesn't change. We are new creatures once for all. We don't lose that status. We are always in Christ now and forever. That never changes. But what is changing or the ongoing result of a completed action is the word behold, which is Active voice, imperative mood. Active voice, you're to do this, imperative mood. God commands you to be seeing all things in a new way. Why? Because you're a new creature. How do you need to see them? All things are of God. Now, contextually, what does that mean? We'll look at it in three different ways here. First of all, Reconciliation is a relationship term, so we need to start seeing relationships in a new way, right? To be reconciled means to bring into favor with God, uh, to restore to favor. Remember, Paul is telling this church, be reconciled to God, which is be being reconciled. So he's telling reconciled sinners that are new creatures, the ongoing result, be seeing God in a certain way, be reconciled to God, don't receive the grace of God in vain, keep moving in the direction of God, have relationship with God. Okay, And the, the fruit of that then is we as sinners are continually being reconciled to one another. 
in our relationships. Now, how do we do that? We are bringing the word of reconciliation to one another in every relationship that we're in because we're new creatures. So we see relationships differently, at least we're supposed to. We don't see them like the world. We see God at work through them. We see marriage differently. We see family differently. We see parenting differently. We see all things new and all things are of God, which means we need to look through the prism of God's Word by faith so that we can then interact relationally, not in the old way that's passed away. And what was that? As was mentioned in the prayer and this morning, egocentric. What do you do in an egocentric relationship? It's all about me. The relationship exists. My wife exists. My children exist. The church that I pastor exists for me. That's egocentric. That's old man. That's the way you either are living or you used to live. Now, you wouldn't be so blatant as to say that. But everything we do by nature is designed to maximize my hedonistic pleasure, which means mom and dad, wife, husband, children, you have to do it my way. So I will use cajoling, manipulation, control in whatever it takes, subtly or overtly with my words to get you to fly right and to get in shape so that you can make my life happy. Does that sound familiar? That's the old man because we were seeing things in an old way. But now in a Christocentric view, we're new creatures and God calls on us to see our relationships in a whole new light. We must see them as something that is owned by God. See? God owns your marriage. He owns this church. We know that. He owns your children. He owns your family. He owns your body. He owns you completely. Whether you're unsaved and created by God, He owns you. Or whether you've submitted to Christ, which is what we're talking about here, He has ownership. Now, I remember as a young man talking to my friends, the one thing we wanted to do in life was to own a business. And guess why? Number one reason. If I owned a business, I would do what I wanted. I would operate the business how I wanted. And if anybody didn't operate it the way I wanted them to, they get fired. And little did I know, you sink with the business too if it doesn't make it, right? And you have all the stresses of business ownership. See, when we think we own relationships, we fire the people in our relationships. No, they don't ever leave necessarily. Now, sometimes they do. They stick around but we fire them with our words and our anger and our frustration and all the ways that they're not living up to the owner's manual. And if, if I own something, then I wrote the owner's manual and you've got to follow the manual. And we see that lived out in our lives over and over and over because we still are struggling with the gratification of the flesh and living life on human terms according to the old man way. So this takes a daily commitment, as Jesus said, of self-denial, and then coming under the reality that Christ is the king, we're the ambassadors. Again, Paul mentions in verse 20. Or, uh, yes. Now then, we are ambassadors, which means a representative. And the representative to the Caesar meant Caesar the king establishes foreign policy. He establishes immigration policy. He establishes economic policy. The ambassador establishes nothing. 
Nothing. The monarch establishes it all. So if we are ambassadors for Christ, the implication is that he's the king. He establishes the owner's manual for the relationship. And the relationship does not exist for us to make us happy. That is not why your children exist or your marriage. It exists for the glory of God. And when it has its right place, then we find fulfillment. We find spiritual joy, even in hardships, because we are following, by grace, through faith, what the owner of the relationship dictates, and he decides, and he wants for the relationship. So it requires us then to ask questions in our relationships like this. What does the king expect me to do in this relationship? What does the king expect me to say in this conflict? What does he want me to say? Now typically we speak according to our own owner's manual. We say what we want we, we say things that we later regret. But if we go into every day asking the Lord, Lord, help me to see all things new, that you're the source of all things, you're the source of my relationship, and you own them, they're not mine, therefore I want to speak as an ambassador in those relationships, and I want to speak your word of reconciliation in it. Because Paul said he was given the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not charging their trespasses unto them, not charging it to them. He will not later charge it to them, all that are in Christ. And has done what? Given us the word of reconciliation. We have been committed the word of reconciliation, not only to the world, but to those who are already reconciled. We are bringing to the table, to the relationship, God's word. Now, what are the implications of that? Do you know God's Word? Would you know, I don't think He wants me to say that. I don't think He wants me to talk like that. I think He wants me to say this. You say, well, now, there's not a script in the Bible as to everything you're supposed to say to the detail, but there, there is a script for your heart and your attitude, right? You know, when the attitude's right, the words are going to be closer to getting to what the Lord is after. Then when the heart is out of sync, out of sorts, then it's probably going to speak out of the manual that we have written for the sake of self, for the glory of self, and for the pleasure of self. And Paul is very well aware that he used to speak that way. It was all about him. And we are very well aware our struggle every day and our need for Jesus as our King to help us to speak. Next we ask, what is His will for me? I mean, you're just going to move about life going where you want? Does he speak to that? You say, well, there's a lot of freedom in the Bible. And so there is. But do you know when you're outside of that freedom and you're in it? What is King Jesus' will for me? What is the, the trajectory of my life supposed to be? Am I in that thought pattern? Am I thinking in that trajectory? Or am I just kind of, you know, I'd like to do this, I'd like to do that, I'd like to go here, I'd like to go there. Okay, we're free. But are you asking the questions? The first two questions Paul asked when he became a new creature in Christ in Acts chapter 9, verse 5 is, Lord, who art thou? And he calls him Lord, which means he's already in submission. (laughs) 
You are Lord of Lords, King of Kings. I'm come under your Lordship. First, who are you? Secondly, what do you want me to do? That's a very simple question. If you just start there, say, Lord, what kind of single person do you want me to be about? And then go to his word. What kind of marriage do you want me to have? What kind of husband do you want me to be? What kind of wife do you want me to be? What kind of child do you want me to be under my parents? And then we cry out to God and say, Lord, the standard is way above me. I can't reach it. But in you, I can be strengthened in such a way that I can grow and move in the direction of your redemptive purposes because I have been reconciled. So rest assured, no amount of asking that question brings about reconciliation. No amount of doing the will of the king brings it about. We've been reconciled. We are new creatures in Christ if you've trusted him. And now we want to see life under King Jesus in a way that we're seeing these relationships are now owned by God. They're owned by him. And so he wants us to live out those relationships to his glory. The second part of this is that we see all things new as in all circumstances are of God. Now, what are the implications of that for your relationships? Again, we're connecting with reconciliation. And Paul is seeking reconciliation with a church that's out of sorts with him. So he's bringing them in defense of his integrity, the truth of what God has made him, a new creature. He's bringing them the word and not his anger and his wrath because he doesn't own the church. He understands that. If he felt like he owned it, he'd be coming down on them hard. But rather, he brings a word of rebuke, a word of comfort, a word of exhortation. He brings God's word. So, let's review for a minute. What do we know about God's sovereignty over all things? You say, well, kind of wasting your time, preacher. We know that. But here's the question. Is the God that you profess your functional God? That's the question. You say, God's sovereign. Amen. Does he function as the sovereign God of your life? Well, let's review his sovereignty. Ephesians 1.11 says he works all things after the counsel of his own will. That's the most sweeping statement in the Bible, as we've said before. It's hard to find another verse in the Bible that's so sweeping to say, everything is being worked out according to the counsel of his will, his plan, his purposes. All sweeping. Nothing is left out of the context of those words. Secondly, he's at work that way as the king over the church, Ephesians 1.22. He has placed him far above all principalities, powers, authorities. He's put him to be head over all things for the church. I think that's the same word, huper, that we saw here in our text. On behalf of the church, which is his, he's the head of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that's filling all in all. Simply stated, Christ is ruling over everything for the church. That's comprehensive. And then thirdly, our our go-to text would be Romans 8.28, right? Another sweeping statement. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So God is working everything toward the good of His redemptive purpose. What is that purpose? To conform you to the image of Christ. That's why He justified you or called you. He justifies. 
right? For whom he did foreknow, he predestinated, predetermined to call, justify, implied, sanctify, and ultimately glorify. God, through His sovereignty, is going to guarantee the arrival of every single person in Christ without fail that He's put in Christ and died for infallibly. So those things will take place. So God is sovereign. Now here's the question. He's sovereign over my life. He's sovereign over every detail. So how much of your life is spent complaining? And murmuring. See, that is a, a, a clue to us that God is not functioning in that circumstance as sovereign. He is with your lips and my lips. He's sovereign over this event that I'm complaining about, this traffic, this being cut off in the street, this that just happened to me. I'm furious because I'm not making application. God's not functional at this moment. I understand fear and somebody could, you know, cause you to have a wreck and all those things. But I'm talking about complaining and murmuring because of some event that touched your life. At the same time when you say, God is over that event and He's working that event for my good. Therefore, I am complaining against the sovereignty of God and His good, wise counsel in my life. That's my complaint. Now, when you work it out, that's the upshot, isn't it? I don't think like that when I'm complaining, but the reality is I have forgotten the God that I profess and my functional God now, once again, is egocentric me. I don't like it that you interrupted my life. I don't like it. I'm frustrated that you messed up my Saturday plans. I don't like it that you don't want to do it my way. And now I'm letting you know with my complaints what's happening. We are not seeing all things new. We're not recognizing in that moment the redemptive purpose of God in the event is not accidental. There are no stones in the building by accident, right? There are no stones in this building that just one day showed up and accidental. Now, you may not have planned to come here one day and here you are. It was kind of an accident on your your thinking, but not God's. Every living stone in the building is ordained by God. Nothing surprises Him. Relationally, there are no accidental relationships. If we just believe the verses that I just mentioned, everything includes your relationships. There are no relationships that are accidental. Whatever the secondary causes, which are real and part of the plan, They're real, they're accountable, and we need to see them that way. Yet, over it all, it's divine appointment. So my frustration, my unjust anger at the people in my life, the relationships, is just only proving the point that my functional God in that moment is me, and it's not King Jesus. Now I cannot be an ambassador. I can't represent Jesus to the person who may need correction because all I'm really about is representing my frustration to my wife and to my children, which really just don't get it right. Now, I hope I'm not just describing me on occasion, but this is the Adamic flesh. This is what we struggle with every day. But to think, I'm a new creature. And now, God has brought me this problem 
which yes, has some, have some sin in it, has some difficult things, has some things that have to be worked out. He's shown me something on two levels. First, he's showing me something about myself that he wants changed. He wants it changed. If God's redemptive purpose is my sanctification, and that means I'm more like Christ, how is he going to get you there? Well, he's going to show you just how much you're not like Christ. Right? He's going to show you just how much you're not like him, and I'm not. Then he starts the work of molding by showing you that. See? To show us really how egocentric we really still are at times. And so what does he do? He is not working out your plans for your life. His redemptive purpose is to work out your holiness. And that requires you to see things about yourself that's very painful. You ever had that occasion where you say, I don't know where that came from. I I just said it. Yes, you do. Jesus says the abundance of your mouth, or the abundance of your heart, your mouth spoke. You know just where it came from. It was deep embedded in your heart, always there. Didn't just show it. It had been there before she said that, before he said that. It was there, and God saw it. And his plan was for you to see it so you can deal with it and pursue holiness. But you see, secondly, he's over all things, your relationships, because you're to be an ambassador bringing the word of reconciliation to the people in your relationships when things come out of their mouth, like they do ours. When, when you see sinful things, because we still sin, rather than bring your anger that they messed up your life and messed up your plans and messed up your day, egocentric, Christocentric, you bring them the word. You bring them the word. How wonderful is that? Christ wants you to make him your functional God over all circumstances, which is going to require us to get up every day. Lord, help me today. There may be something that touches my life, very small, that tends to frustrate me, or very big. Help me to see through a new lens in what you're doing in my own life, through the events that touch me, my holiness, and the life of those in relationship with me, their holiness. So we're bringing the word of reconciliation to each other. We're bringing Christ to each other, so that Christ is really functioning as our street-level God, not just the God of our words or the God of our mouths, as he charged the Jews of his day. Well, saith Isaiah of you, your, your words honor me and your mouth is speaking well of me, but your heart is far from me. And so we want to bring our hearts in alignment with our words, with the word of God, and recognize, God, we want to behold and obey this command to see all things, all circumstances are from you. All events whether they be joyful or very painful, all have their source and their origin in the king of the universe. And his aim is not to harm you. It is to draw you in and to make you more holy. And the impact is when we see life that way, then it helps us be in a position to speak to the good of others, to speak words of reconciliation and to hear those words as well. We need to hear them, don't we? I need reconciliation often. And so when God blesses us to see this way, then we can remember His redemptive purpose in my relationship is my sanctification in marriage. It's the salvation of my children. So what do I want to say to them? I want to bring them the Word. Right? That's what He calls us 
in part to do as parents. See, they, they're, they're, it's not parenting according to our agenda. It's the Lord's agenda, what He wants. And how do we speak to one another? We want to build each other up in the Word and speak the truth in love. And then lastly, we want to see the conflict. And so that just narrows the second point down to a little more specific uh, because it's in conflict in our relationships where it's, it's hard to see things in a new way because I'm seeing through the lens of my pain, my hurt, my agenda for the day, my plans for the day, whatever it is that I wanted to happen today that God decided that would not happen, that His plan would happen. And therefore, the conflict becomes an occasion for blaming one another, doesn't it? How can you bring a word of reconciliation to someone when you just want to impute or charge them with their sin? You say, but isn't that kind of the point? Yes and no. Now think about it. If God was in the world not imputing their trespasses unto them. See, the redemptive work of Christ is particular redemption because God's not going to change His mind. If He wasn't imputing their trespasses to those that were in Him, He's not going to change His mind at the end of time, is it? You just think about that. Those that were in Christ by election, He was not imputing their trespasses against them. And He never will. Or He's not right. Now we then come along and we charge people with their trespasses. Now what's the problem with that? Well, no one's ever convicted when you charge them with their trespasses, right? But now think about when you bring the word of Christ to them. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Not because I I harmed someone or said something to another human that was bad. That can make me feel bad. That won't bring about conviction. But hold up the word of Christ to someone and watch them melt that they offended the one that loved them and hung on the cross. Bring his word to them. Yes, there's conviction. And yes, there's some guilt that they feel, but it's from Christ and not us. We try to bring blame We just want to assign blame, rest assured. The reason usually is because we want them to stop making our life so miserable. Isn't that often the problem? So I want you to see what you did, see what you did to me, see how you messed it up. That's wrong. And we just charge them and they're just, you've been charged. Now be on your way. Or you've been fired from the business. You're a terrible employee. Nobody's convicted by that. They may feel bad for a while. The sorrow of the world does not work salvation. So they felt sorrow, but it was just your sorrow that you heaped on them and made them feel terrible for being a person or being a wife or being a husband or a child. And you you just poured your guilt on them with no reference to Christ, no reference to the Word, and it just produced worldly sorrow. I'm sorry, Dad, I messed up your life. I'm sorry I hurt you like that. But there's no real conviction because we didn't use the Word of Reconciliation. But godly sorrow worketh repentance. That sorrow where Christ is at the center of it. Right? Now the beauty of that sorrow is that the one you're looking at and feeling the guilt, at the same time, what do you see? 
your redemption and your forgiveness. That's so wonderful. In the same glance, the one you've offended hanging on the cross is the one who's forgiving you by his cross. At the same event. So they get their eyes off of you and your assigning blame, which is always man-centered. You know, we just want to manipulate people into doing right. So, so we, we, bring, we bring, bring it down on them heavy, you know. I can't believe you did this. Really? Paul David Tripp communicates in his book on parenting that when we say that, what we're saying is, I would have never done that when I was your age. Really? Fact is, you probably did. But when you communicate the word of reconciliation, you're bringing to people in your relationships the very thing you desperately need is Jesus. So you bring the word of Christ that dwells richly in you because that's what you need and it changes your whole attitude. It's no longer about what they did to you. It's no longer about that they messed up your day. It's no longer about that you got cut off. It's now all about Christ that they need. He's the source of their conviction. He's the source of their help. He's the source of their forgiveness. He's the source of everything. And so no wonder Paul tells Timothy, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, peradventure that God would grant them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves from the snare of the devil. We just assign blame. We're not coming in meekness. We're coming in pride. We don't like what they did to us. We come in meekness. We're resting with gentle words because we know conviction and repentance comes from God. We know that. So in peace, when peace rules our hearts, we can speak the truth, we can speak it directly, we can speak it as we should, because now we're seeing all of our relationships are owned by God. We're seeing all things new, that God is over every circumstance, every disruption, every difficulty, every conflict, every tense relationship. He's over it for His redemptive purpose that out of that would come the good of holiness and being more like Christ. And so we let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another, right? What are we teaching and admonishing with? That's not a preacher text, that's a a church text. We are exhorting, we're teaching, we're admonishing out of the Word of Christ. It's about Christ. Christ is central, not me. I'm fading out of the center. Christ is coming to the center. And all the family, all the marriage, all the church is coming around the centrality of Jesus. And now we're seeing things differently. Isn't that wonderful? I confess, it's, I wish I saw this way every day. I wish what I'm saying to you that I could say, "Mm, every day I'm I'm seeing this way, but I can't. And you know I'm preaching way above my head. I'm I'm just an instrument here, right? Because I'm I'm looking up and trying to come under it as you are. But the good news is, as we close out, what's the good news when we think about the difficulty, the challenges of relationships, the hardships, 
the trials, the struggles, the circumstances we encounter is this. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be you reconciled to God because he hath made him to be sin for us. To be made doesn't mean he became sin in the sense of doing it. God was counting our sin to Christ. So he was made sin in that way. Who knew no sin, which means personally he was unacquainted with it by action. He never once sinned. Why on earth would God kill an innocent man who is God? So that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. May God bless us as new creatures to live in a new way, to know in a new way, and to see all things new. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word to us. We Rejoice in the Word and the hope we have in Christ and all that You are doing in and through us providentially. Lord, although as we see in Paul's life, the great hardships he faced, the great suffering that we'll see in chapter 6 and chapter 11, how difficult, how painful it was for him. And the greatest pain was some of the criticism from the people he loved. The relational uh, setbacks, the relational Uh, severing and criticisms from this beloved church that he labored so much to be reconciled to. And yet, Lord, we see him still by the love of Christ being compelled and moving forward because of how delightful your love for him was and is and your love for us. Lord, may we rest in the love of Christ and be able to live out as new creatures again and again in our relational conflict, troubles, trials, and difficulties. May we remember You are fulfilling your redemptive purposes in us and through us for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.